You are listening to the You Are Techie podcast, episode number 52. Welcome to the You Are Techie podcast, where it's all about growing in your techiness so you can find the tech job of your dreams. And now your host, technology learning coach, Ellen Toomey. This episode is brought to you by The Mom Project. The Mom Project is the leading career destination for moms, and it's on a mission to build a better workplace for women and everyone. We move forward when we move together, and The Mom Project provides you with both community support, over 300,000 moms deep, and job opportunities designed to meet you where you are and help you to grow and achieve throughout your journey. Sign up for The Mom Project now at themomproject.com. See what opportunities await you. Laura Tierney is the founder and CEO of The Social Institute. The Social Institute empowers students to positively navigate their social world, including social media and technology. Within two years, her team's unique gamified curriculum created with over 50,000 students at 60 schools nationwide, has been touted as the gold standard in the country. Their positive student-led approach has been applauded by Melinda Gates, featured by the Washington Post, NPR, and USA Today. Prior to envisioning, researching, and launching the Social Institute, Laura served as social media director at the award-winning advertising agency, McKinney overseeing social media strategy for the agency's leading global brands. Before McKinney, Laura honed her marketing and social media skills as a social media manager at ESPN. Laura is a 2018 award winner of the Triangle Business Journal's 40 Under 40. She's a graduate of Duke University with a BA in sociology and a certificate in policy journalism and media studies, which she earned while becoming an all ACC academic honoree in field hockey. She was a member of the 2006 NCAA final team and made four NCAA tournament appearances. Laura currently resides in Durham, North Carolina with her husband, Colin, and their son, age three and a half. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ellen, for having me. It's great to be here. I'm excited to dive into a lot of things about your story, but let's start with the Social Institute. What's the story behind it and why is it important? Sure. So the Social Institute, I feel like this is my life's work and it's, you know, passion meets purpose for for me and our team. We are on this great mission to empower students across the country to navigate social media and technology in positive, healthy, high character ways. It's so important because social media is only more and more prevalent in students' lives today, especially during this time that we're going through in this you know, pandemic. And at TSI, we believe you know, it's social media is how students are social. It's how they connect, um, whether that be through a group chat or TikTok videos or Fortnite or Minecraft, you name it. And they have to learn how to you know, make great choices and their role models too, like parents and educators at schools also need to think about how they're being 
positive role models when it comes to social media and technology. So we're all in this together and it's not going away anytime soon. Tech and social are here to stay. And so, you know, we are so driven to be helping and empowering these students. I love that you said you included 50,000 students in the building of your company. Can you tell us a little bit about the student interaction and what that, what that was like? Sure. And I have a funny story to that is TSI is about four and a half years old now. So this must've been four years ago. I was at a school. I had prepared to come in and work with these sixth graders. And I had built this workshop on group texting and I built it on my own time. And I brought it to the school to run it. And I ran it with the students and I think it went, you know, okay, pretty well. And then I was hanging out in the school library afterwards and a student came up to me who was in that workshop and she said, listen, like that workshop was fun and it was engaging, but can I give you a few ways to plus it up? And <laughs> I am, <laughs> I am all for feedback. So I'm like, yes, please like lay it on. Like what, what can I be doing to make this even better for students? And she and I huddled in that library for like 45 minutes or so, just thinking about ways to make this lesson more relevant. Like when are students group texting each other? What group texts, you know, are they part of? How big is that group chat? When are their group chats like exploding? All of these amazing insights. And that's when the light bulb went off. I was like, Ooh, this entire organization needs to be powered with the voice of students. And so from then on, we started working with families and students across the country. Every time I would visit a school or we would partner and roll out our curriculum to a school, you know, we would have students kind of volunteer their hands to work with us on this program. And it's so energizing. I think anytime you are working on something with students, it's just their ideas are so genuine and pure. So it's definitely my favorite part for sure about this work. Yeah. I, I love that. And, uh, you know, being a teacher for six years, I can appreciate, and I, and I taught at, I always say elite private high schools across the country. I mean, my students were brilliant, you know, and it was, it was almost, I basically had to like put things in front of them and then get out of their way because they would just have so many phenomenal ideas and their energy and thirst for doing things well and doing it right. was so inspiring, like you're saying. So I, I'm actually, I'm not surprised at all by that. And I think, I think it's yeah. great. That story yeah. of a student made me think of a, a number of my students who would have said, yeah, I think I've got some ideas for you. That's right. I firmly believe that when you see how innovative and trailblazing and and just how um, engaged these students are with problems they see or opportunities they see. It's like, we're going to be all right if, if the future is in their hands. And so students know more about technology and social media than I would say most adults do. And we love leaning into that truth and not talking down to students, but mm -hmm. rolling out products rolling out lessons for them, rolling out resources that really meet them on their level. Yeah, again, just such rewarding, rewarding work. And, and to dig into this a little bit more, because we talked a little bit about this offline, like social media or any form of technology and you approach it and you come at students or, or teenage individuals with a, it's bad 
you know, this is negative. We've got to get this out of your life or you're on your phone too much or, you know, any type of language that's like general in terms of its negativity. I think you're going to be met with just blank stares. It is part of their world. And so how do we make it an experience that it is part of all of our world, you know, but how do we make it an experience that's, that's a positive interaction and really life experience. And then, and then also I'd love to hear about, you mentioned you were from kind of a small town and that social media really was it, you were able to gain mentors from those connections. I'd love to just kind of touch on that a little bit. That's right. So thinking about your listeners and the one thing I think I can relate to is like, we all probably have different interests, whether that is like sports or the arts or technology, you name it. But think about, you know, a skill that you've wanted to learn growing up and imagine having a coach that just constantly coached you on what not to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do this. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't get too far. You'd kind of be wondering, okay, well, what, what should I do if I have to code something this way? What should I do if I want to kick the soccer ball into the goal? How do I kick it? Focusing on the do's, not the don'ts is such a quick and easy actionable reframing of how we approach this topic as parents, as moms. And, you know, growing up in a small town, social media, not, not the same apps that we have today, but I use different platforms to, you know, follow women on the U S field hockey national team, because they were States away. But for me, it set a really positive example later on, went to work in social media at ESPN and a few other, with a few other brands And the one phrase that we use so much at ESPNW, which was all about empowering women and girls who love sports is kids can't be what they can't see. Mm -hmm. And young girls need to see positive role models when it comes to sports and on ESPN and other channels. And I think that applies to social media too. Like students have to see positive role models to become closer, you know, to their goals and values and I personally live that and, you know, there's no right or wrong to uh, those experiences. But for me, it's just having positive influences in my life helped fuel me. I love it. Yeah. And I love that point about focus on the do's, not the don'ts. And and really, if you think about it, like don't, 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 don't is a fear-based mentality where it's almost like you're afraid to say, well, what to do. But if you come at it from the, this do standpoint of like, here's how you can handle it that's really the more empowering way of handling it. So I love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think back to another, you know, light bulb moment for me in building this organization was, I remember an 11th grader coming up to me after a presentation and she said, Laura, sometimes by this point, you know, in high school, it's kind of obvious that we have to post things that represent our values. So we understand the why, but not enough people help us understand the how, how do you do that? How do I post to Instagram, you know, things that represent my values without seeming, I don't know, like I'm overly boastful about myself or I'm constantly celebrating, you know, my wins and young girls, definitely there's like self-esteem kind Mm -hmm. of challenges and what you're sharing and how do you represent your accomplishments. And, but I think again, the more that parents can huddle and not helicopter and just have, you know, conversations with their kids is so important. You know, we're training schools to do that and having educators have conversations with the kids about how to make positive decisions, but it's definitely a, a team effort. Yeah. And, and it's different. It's different, you know, than the parents and the way that many parents of teens today 
were raised to navigate something that you didn't experience as a child. Um, but I want to talk about a little bit about your career journey, but tell us a little bit about like work at ESPN, work at McKinney, you know, what did mm-hmm. it consist of and, and what you're, you're so on the forefront of social media doing the social mm-hmm. media. I mean, you were doing the social media work. What was that like? Yeah, I've learned a lot over the past few years about my personality and what drives me. And I don't think I would have this same answer if you asked me this like many years ago, but Mm -hmm. I'm more aware now what makes me tick is working with the best of the best. I love it. Like that's why I wanted to commit to play at, you know, Duke. I understand there's so many other great colleges and universities (laughs) here in the area too. But for me, I mean, that was pushing myself to surround myself with the best. And I knew that would make me better in turn. And then I remember graduating Duke without a job. It was during the last recession and I had worked my butt off during college, just could not, you know, I had multiple internships throughout college, worked so hard, but graduated without a job. And I found my way up to New York city and used LinkedIn to get in touch with some mentors, found my way to someone at ESPN through LinkedIn again, for me, it was, I want to work with the best of the best. I want to learn the best about branding. I want to learn the best about creative design, even if I can't do it. Like I I want to learn from people Mm -hmm. who are excellent. And then that led me down here to work at McKinney, like just a really incredible agency and people who push the boundaries of thinking about creative campaigns for brands. And I knew when I started an organization, I was like, I want to be working with, you know, the most trailblazing teammates. And I think everyone, you know, has something maybe different that drives you. For me, that has been a thread throughout my career in college, playing with Team USA, the brands that I joined. I love learning from other people who are, you know, have a high standard of excellence for what they do. And, you know, there's times I'm frustrated because I can't do it myself, but you know, we're not, we're not, we're not perfect. And uh, I got, I got to know my weaknesses and there's plenty of weaknesses, but there's also plenty of strengths that I've picked up along the way because of who I'm surrounding myself with. Love it. And did you, did you like the culture at ESPN? What was that like? ESPN was such a learning curve for me because when I came in, I joined a small team within ESPN. So it already had a very entrepreneurial vibe to it. We were a team of my goodness, probably eight to 10 people at the time. So you were like a startup nestled within this mothership, (laughs) which is pretty cool. And so you could, you know, take advantage of the cafeteria and seeing athletes walk by and then you go and you're like jamming like a startup would in your own kind of part of the campus. So I got, it felt like the best of both worlds. I learned how to move really fast. I learned accountability, I learned how to be a jack of all trades at a lot of different things because there was just no one else to do the work. So it's like, all right, I got to figure out how to design this graphic because no one else is going to do it, you know, from our team. And I knew nothing about graphic design at the time. So it's like, okay, let me look up who are the most, who are the coolest designers at ESPN? (laughs) What are they doing? How could I mirror, you know, their inspiration to make sure it's on brand and everything. And, but it it was neat. I, I worked on a, a business called um, ESPN High School when I joined ESPN. And that's when my passion for working with students definitely intensified because when I was at ESPN HS, I had to collaborate with 
teenagers. I had to meet with them and run focus groups. What do they like about certain content on ESPN? What content could we provide more of? And it was just so inspiring working with these students. I then transferred to work with ESPNW because, you know, the ESPN HS kind of got rolled up into a, it was like a, a mini, mini, mini acquisition, you could say. And Mm -hmm. therefore I was focused on engaging young girls. And therefore I, they were like, Hey, Laura, you're the youngest on the team. Start managing social media. And that's how it started. It wasn't a, oh my gosh, social media is my passion. I'm going to pursue this whole career. Mm -hmm. It was like someone threw me in and said, all right, learn how to swim and FIO and figure it out. Uh, If you need anything, let us, let us know. (laughs) And so that's how the social media work got started and ended up having a career in that for 10 years. But it's sometimes being pushed to be uncomfortable professionally in different places. You definitely learn what maybe your weaknesses are, but you also get exposed to new projects that you know, might kind of light a spark that takes you down a route you never would have imagined going down if you weren't nudged. I actually love that. So I, that's been my experience when you talk about, it wasn't like social media was my passion. So oftentimes when I talk to my, to my audience or my community and they're like, I, I just don't know that coding is my passion. It's like coding, they call it coding. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't have to be. If you understand that you're creating something amazing and you're working on something that you're you're serving these people in this way or Mm -hmm. the particular software you're creating or the particular, and I mean, and then I, you know, I, I was a developer and then I was a a UX designer. For me, it's all about the users. Now I do like some of the efficiencies in, in, in code like that part, but it doesn't, it's more about like you were talking about loving high school students. When you were serving users that you are passionate about and that you actually care about solving their problems, it makes everything else easier, right? Like creating the social media, creating the design, creating that because you care if it works for them. And it's less about like, you'll use whatever technology it takes to service that. So I love that you said that, that like, it wasn't that social media was your passion, but as you're describing who you're hanging out with, and and then it's been the foundation for your company now, you know, you can tie those into kind of serving that user base. That's such a great way of, yeah, of putting it. And I never, I never thought about it, but you're right. Like starting with that, why, like what makes you tick? Because that's, you know, going to help you think about if I have to work at 9 PM at night or something, it's because I'm, I have a bigger North star, whether it's 9 PM at night, or I have to wake up early in the morning before I, you know, take the little one to daycare. I do all those things because I, there's a bigger North star that I'm chasing. I guess for me, it's, my sort of why I do what I do, what I do and how I do it is I am so driven to empower students across the country. I do that through gamified technology. And then how I spend my time now is, you know, I spend a lot of it on sales and business development, you know, as the founder and CEO. And I never started off by saying, I want to be working sales. Right. You know, so I, yes. I, I, yes. I didn't start with that third level, you know, of that. I started off with that first level, which is I want to empower as many students as I can through technology by working in sales. Thank you for helping me kind of, yes, frame it that way. That's, and and I, and I have that, it's funny you brought up sales because that's what I think about, but I've had that experience so many times where 
with women who are, they, they love that it, that tech is flexible. They love that it's high paid. And then they're trying to figure out like, how can I be attached to it? And I think for me, sales, same thing. Like I was a teacher. I never say like, I'm a salesperson, but I spent a long time on my product, falling in love with my product, making a product that I love. So when I sell it, it's very easy because I know that it's so amazing. I've already convinced myself it's amazing. And I just want to tell everybody about it because I know it can help them. So I think that's a great tip for anyone who is thinking that sales isn't right for you if you like your product enough. And I know there are people who can sell without doing that, but I think it's a heck of a lot easier to sell something that you really think can solve a problem for someone. Absolutely. I remember a mentor told me once, you know, Laura, think about how you're spending your free time. And at the time I was carving out vacation days to work on some projects with students. And I I think that for me, actually, you know, at least that, that was an interesting question to ask is like, how do you spend your free time? What problems are you trying to solve? You know, if that's one of the things that kind of makes you tick, you don't mind coding. You don't mind taking a few extra calls to pitch your idea to someone because you're chasing that North star. Yeah, totally. Well, you mentioned the little one and I would love, you know, this is, we have a very heavy mom audience here at Your Techie. And I would love to hear about how motherhood has shaped some of your career decisions. Oh man, being a mother is, you know, you just, you know, what's coming just like, you know, what's coming when you start a startup. Uh, But for me, starting like, for me, it's like, I'd made the weird decision to start both at the same time, like literally within the same quarter, like oh not even the same gosh. year, you know, I found out that I was going to be blessed with having a baby. And, and then I also made the decision to soon after I realized that is when I decided to start the company. <laughs> and, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm someone who, you know, I will, I will push myself. Um, I'm aware of, you know, before getting to burnout, definitely got to pause and slow down. But for me, that was, you know, me saying, all right, you have a deadline. You have like eight months to build <laughs> yeah. as far as you can. Yeah. And then you're going to, a hard reality is you're going to have to work through maternity leave, which was really tough for me. With I your know, first one. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine. Yeah. Right. This, With yeah. My first one. Yeah. And I remember looking at so many different articles of how to run a startup and then have your first baby. And it was just kind of messing with my head of like, Hey, I could do this, but I'm struggling. And also, you don't, you never know what's coming just like a startup. And I experienced postpartum depression after having my little, my little guy. And it, that was, it was a tough time for me because it, it felt like little things like little waves that would hit you felt like much bigger yeah. waves. And I recognize that, you know, there's only so much I can control. I can't control that I'm going through this right now mentally, yeah. but what I can control is the people I surround myself with on my team, I could control seeing a therapist. I can control the boundaries I set up for myself. So I'm just not working all the time. I try to reframe it of like control the controllable, like CTC. And that really helped me kind of pull out of that time in my life. Since then, you know, have constantly felt that as the going gets tough, the support that I need to have around in my life also mm-hmm. has to lift up as yeah. well. So if, if it's like you're defying gravity, it's not a scale where when work goes up, your time with family and stuff doesn't, your you know, support systems in your life can't go down. They also have to lift up as well. And so I follow that model today and has helped me so much. 
it certainly taught me also to appreciate while I absolutely love my startup, things are not, you know, the end of the world. It's, it's a business at the end of the day, it's a passion for sure, but it helps kind of, um, my son helps keep, he like just keeps, keeps things in, in check. You know, he always gives you something to look forward to. I think that's like the key, one of the keys to happiness. I don't know, an old elderly woman who sat on a plane with me once when I was traveling out to X games years ago, I sat next to her on the plane. She's reading this book about happiness. I asked her about it. And she said, that's one of the three keys, Um, having someone you love, um, doing something you love and having something to look forward to. And I think no matter where this business goes, I think always having to go home and, you know, see family and have time carved out for them is always something to look forward to at the end of the day. So that's been a huge motivator to say the least. Oh my gosh. That was, I don't even, there was such a good answer. I love everything that you said. I think it's amazing. I think it's so great that you shared sort of your struggles. So after my first, I don't know if I had postpartum depression because I was sleep deprived for, she didn't sleep for a year and I just felt like I was losing my mind. And I remember just calling, I have two older sisters who have kids before me. I just, I'm like, I think I have postpartum, but I am so tired. I don't even know. And it was like just chaos and craziness. And I just remember that being so hard. And then when I had my fourth, I started graduate school the six weeks later. It's the same thing in a quarter and, but it's motivation. And now I don't even know if you know, but I'm pregnant now with my fifth. Thank you very much. And so when you're talking about like that deadline, I'm like, yeah, it's actually very motivational. So someone asked me the other day, like, how are you doing with startup and the baby? And I'm like, I can only think like, I just feel very compelled to get a lot of things done before February. (laughs) You know, it's like big motivation. But I love that you said that your support system has to raise because I think, and I am the biggest culprit of this, so often we are afraid to ask for or expect help, and that's not okay. We've got to have help, whatever form that is. I remember it took me forever to hire a cleaning lady because my mom never had a cleaning lady. And both my parents were like, hire a cleaning lady. And they were, and I'm like, yeah, but you, and I mean, I'm not clean, Laura. I mean, never have been, not a priority. I heard my cleaning lady, I now call her my best friend. She's amazing. And it was such a small thing. It was, but it took me so long, way longer than it should have. And it's just mm-hmm. funny because it was, there was no reason. It was literally just deciding that getting the help I needed, and there are lots of ways to do that, right? Was a priority. And so I just think your story is great. I think you helped a lot of people. You also said that you saw a therapist, and I want to comment on that the beauty of therapy and coaching and getting support in those ways and reducing the stigma that like, hello, let's just be our best self with whatever that takes is so great. And and thank you for sharing that. And I hope that people are listening and taking that in. Right. No, absolutely. And there's so many ways I think to get that support. And so therapy is one way to do it. It might be calling your mom every morning, but like whatever that might be, um, you know, I think it's kind of like you do you and find, yeah, find what works. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. This may or may not be a lighter topic, but I want to dive into, I have to dive into, to your college 
sports because I was like a four sport athlete and I thought I was going to go play softball in college and it, it didn't turn out that way. And I'm okay. Like I, I that's okay with me, but I, it was definitely like a main focus for me. Most of many yeah. of my cousins played uh, college baseball and softball. And my daughter is now interested in field hockey. We have never had a field hockey player. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have her listen to this because she's, nice. yes. So she's young and she's, uh, we'll see. I'll have you take a look at her. You can tell me what, what, what her trajectory is. What position in what position in softball? Did that I played? Oh, shortstop, of course. What else? Oh, that's like the best position. Yeah. That's a great position. Yeah. I also played football quarterback. Yeah. So I think like, yeah, founder CEO is like definitely in my, it's in my DNA. But I would love to hear about like your field hockey career, which I know is a very popular sport on the East Coast, but I'm from the Midwest and it's, it's less popular there. What was it like to play at that elite level of like going to the end? I mean, you guys must have been exceptional to, to go to the tournament all four mm-hmm. years. Just tell us what that was like. Well, I'm dusting off memories now. Going back. <laughs> Let me quickly tell you, talk about being nudged into opportunities. How field hockey started is I grew up playing soccer on an all boys soccer team for so many years. And then my mom hinted, Laura, I think I'm going to take you to a soccer camp this weekend. It's at a university in in another town. Um, You're going to need your cleats, your spikes and all that. We show up, it's a field hockey camp. She buys me a stick and she says, okay, I knew you wouldn't come if I told you it was field hockey. So get out there and start playing. And um, Ellen, let me tell you, I cried like the whole camp. And every day I came home, I was like, this is the worst sport (laughs) in the world. Are you kidding? Yeah. For all you parents who have sent your kids to camp, you guys know the last day of camp is when everyone's scrimmages, right? You just have like a lot of scrimmages going on and you watch your kids scrimmage. And that's when, when I scrimmaged, it was so much like soccer. It was like, boom, I loved it. And I loved it. And I had to get to the last day to love the camp. So I always joke with my mom to this day of like, you know, thank you for making me cry that whole camp because that (laughs) that changed my life. It changed my life. I played field hockey for then several years. I ended up making the junior national team for the U.S. I I traveled a lot of different countries, Azerbaijan. I remember tournament in Chile, a tournament in Holland. Dutch team is really good over there. And then I had the chance to play at Duke. I, I played center mid and, and it's very much like a founder position, right? Like you have to be able to think offensively. You got to think defensively. Yeah. You have to be able to work with everyone on the team and dif- who are surrounding you in the center of the field and sports. Everyone's right bias based on their own experiences, but I am such a so many life skills have come from being part of sports, especially I think for young girls, like the studies showing that girls participation in sports at a young age, there's so many benefits that come out of it. And I think, I believe the same to be true just for anyone, young boys as well. And for me, that, that taught me the importance of who you surround yourself with, trying to see the positives in adversity, because there was just a lot of tough moments that I had to overcome throughout that time. I remember getting injured one year and needing to be patient with that rehab. And there's just a lot of life skills come from playing sports. And so I'm, I'm really grateful to the, you know, all those coaches, I learned the value of a team and, you know, you're only as good as the team and the importance of building a team as a founder and as a CEO 
you know, your team is everything and to keep them united is so important. You know, I was a captain at Duke, learned how do you keep a team cohesive despite all their differences. Even when COVID hit, it sent a shockwave, I think, through most small businesses, including ours. And our team had a session where it's like, hey, you guys, we're all different and we all have different strengths. So let's play to those strengths now more than ever. Here's how we're going to divide and conquer right now during COVID. So it's just one of the many great just gifts I've received from playing sports most of my life. Thank you. Yes. And thank you for indulging me. I appreciate it. I love, and I, I love going back. My husband calls it glory days. I'll, I can tell you as many glory days stories you want. So I appreciate you taking me back to your glory days. I actually was a guest on a podcast recently and we talked about sports because so often people say, well, if you're good at math or science, go into technology. And I, and I got all animated. I'm like, that's just crap. Like actually, actually technology is very creative and Mm. has very little to do with math. And I have had a lot of math and and I love math, but that I think sports actually prepared me, like get out there, go for it, try it, and then keep getting better, keep improving, keep it's, it's very much a, a performance field technology is. And, and I, so that's one of my favorite things is I think actually sports prepared me more for technology than all the calculus that I ever had. So right. I, I'm a yeah. huge sports fan. Now, some of the best, I think folks who are trailblazers in technology, it's like they love solving problems and they see a problem and they could think of several creative ways to attack that problem, to figure it out. Yeah. Okay. We've got to wrap it up. We have too many good uh, topics that I I could probably talk to you for another hour, but let's be respectful of your time. And I would love to know what advice you have for a woman listening. Maybe she's a mom. She's thinking about going into technology, uh, maybe even social media specifically. What advice do you have for her if she's wondering if this is the right fit for her or if she can really do it? Technology is ever-changing. And my advice that, that I would share is to stay curious because curiosity and technology, when you mix them together, it's a, it's a powerful combination. There's always room to learn more about technology because it's changing every day, (laughs) Um, every week, every month. Um, Stay curious about the mentors that you find and, you know, reach out on LinkedIn to ask people for calls, stay curious about the latest enhancements with code, stay curious about what are brands doing with technology? How are they pushing the boundaries during this pandemic when technology is at its cutting edge? Mm-hmm. I think curiosity can take people so to so far because you're constantly learning and, you know, we never are at the end of learning. There's always more learning that, that we could do. So that would be um, advice I would give my younger self. That's <laughs> great you. advice. I love that. Stay curious. Okay. Where can people find you or the social Institute or, or both? You better believe we're on social media. So <laughs> you can find us on most, if not all social media platforms at the social inst uh, short for Institute I N S T. You can also reach out on our website, the social Um, We partner with schools across the country and our, our curriculum is for fifth through 12th grade students and their families. So if um, you know uh, of any community that, that might need support, you know, always feel free to, to reach out to learn more. But you know, at, at the end of the day, there's no better coach you know, for kids than parents and you know, positive role models. So we also have plenty of re- free resources on our website. So you could check us out there. 
Laura Tierney, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was truly a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me, Alan. So nice talking with you. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to sign up for the UR Techie email list. Imagine being in the tech job of your dreams. Join me to get the strategies, training, and never-ending support to get hired. Sign up at uartechie.com. That's Y-O-U-A-R-E-T-E-C-H-Y.com. I'll see you next time.